This is Disaster Tales. I'm Kate Fairweather, and today I'm here with Barb Lonsky, who's living in beautiful Genoa, New York, or Good. overlooking beautiful Genoa, New York. Right. How are you today? I'm doing well, doing well. Yep, excited to, we're starting to get a little bit of a thaw, the, the maple syrup, the sap is run in, and we're uh, moving in a good direction, heading towards spring. Ooh. I like it. We Great. We still have a lot of snow on the ground, but, yes. hey, you know. It, yeah, we don't, but we had, you know, we had a horrible, the whole state had a horrible. I know, you guys got storm hit hard. Storm last week. Yeah. It was really bad, and. Worse was that there was a man-made disaster of loss of power that caused burst pipes, that caused loss of water, that caused... It was a big cascade. Right. Because the energy oversight company didn't require hardening after the last one of these that we had 10 years ago. So... But you can look at all that up on Google. So... Yeah. <laughs> we are going to be talking about that one today. Today... We are going to celebrate Katie's birthday today. We're going to celebrate her birthday March 11th with the disasters that occurred on her birthday. And let me tell you, there was a lot of them. More than you can imagine. It's a list. March 11th is is like December 7th and January yes. 6th and, and April 19th, a day of infamy. Her arrival into the world was equally a day of infamy. So. <laughs> Apparently. Yeah, I think I was... She's my elder sister. I was also... Yes, thank you very much. I wasn't around for it. <laughs> <laughs> you weren't. But apparently there was also a blizzard on my birthday, so... Oh, there you go. We had a lot of blizzards yeah. in the 50s, apparently. Mm. Okay. So, as, you, as I started looking up, and I've known a lot of this for a long time, but as I started really looking up the... The incidents that occurred on March 11th, I'm finding there's a lot of murder and mayhem and disaster and all kinds of of things and not very many really good things either. <laughs> so I guess I'm it. Yep. That follows. So let's start back in 222. Yeah. Let's start in 222 AD with murder. That's when Marcus Aurelius Severus Alexander... <laughs> This has as many names as any Catholic child that I grew up with. Marcus Aurelius Severus Alexander became the emperor of Rome by killing hmm. his 18-year-old cousin, Elagabalus. Elagabalus? <laughs> it's, it's okay. Anyways, that was his name. He assassinated his cousin and the cousin's mother, so his aunt, apparently. Hmm. Uh, and then he took their bodies and dragged them through the streets so it, and then dumped their bodies in the Tiber River. So it wasn't just death, it was also dishonor. Right. And so that must have been the beginning of where they got the idea for drawing and quartering that we talked about on my birthday. They dragged them through the city to shame them. And it certainly <laughs> sounds similar. Yeah. Oh. Uh -huh. Yeah, and they were dead when they were dragged well, through the city. Mercifully, because so. the people in mine weren't. <laughs> so, yeah, there's that. The ones on my birthday weren't dead. They were still <laughs> alive. So, yeah. 
So we advanced some 300 years, plus or minus, and we get the Goths laying siege to Rome. Rome thought that the Goths could not get in. They thought Rome was impregnable, but the Goths were really persistent. Yeah, their their tactics, the Roman tactics were repairing a wall, digging ditches, and putting a chain across the Tiber and having conscripted citizens guarding. But the Goths' tactics were to cut off everything. They blocked the aqueducts, they stopped the grist mills, and thus the production of bread, and so they starved them out. But Belisarius, who was the Roman leader, had a fix. Yes, he built floating mills that went up and down the Tiber River to go to where the grain was. The mountain didn't go to Mohammed. Mohammed went to the mountain or the other way around. So he was he was able to build mills. Yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> Which I think that's a brilliant a brilliant fix, mm-hmm. a brilliant strategy. But um, eventually the Goths they they tried to do they tried to negotiate, you know, to make it over with, but and they were going to negotiate, but then some of them snuck in to damage the aqueducts and because they were carrying torches they could be seen by the Romans, oh. and the Romans attacked them. And so that was the end of the negotiations. <laughs> so it was just a mighty Roman cluster, like many other mm. Roman clusters. Big blue light. <laughs> From That's right. <laughs> oh. Yep. Walmart. Yeah, Kmart. Kmart. So, yeah, so there was that one, too. Yeah. But that started on mm-hmm. March 11th in uh, five... 37. Then we're going to hop to a real disaster on March 11th of 1824 when the U.S. War Department created the Bureau of Indian Affairs. And uh, that ended up being not the best thing for the Native people. Secretary of War John C. Calhoun created the agency as a division of his department within his department, but without the authorization of Congress. William E. Pussyfoot Johnson was charged with keeping alcohol out of Indian territory. He was the Elliot Ness of the B- Bureau of Indian Affairs, so he was uh, he was trying to do right, but things were stacked against him. Yeah, he was going after bootleggers. Several different responses by the tribes to the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Some of them were hostile. Some of them were were um, welcoming. You know accepting their help. Uh, But for more than a century, it was a part of the assault on Native American people. Uh, They banned ceremonial dances. They forced placement of the children in boarding schools. They created the reservations, which have become a real bone of contention among the Indian nations. So it wasn't, it was kind of a disaster. Well, it was. And that the thing that they did with the children was is classified as genocide because what they did was they forcibly took all the children to boarding schools and only allowed them to speak English even mm-hmm. on the playground they couldn't speak they couldn't speak their tribal language to each other and they raised them as your basic white 18th 19th century kid and so they didn't. They they lost their families. They lost their culture. They lost their language, and um, that was, I mean, 
doing that to children is it's just right. uh, to me that's untenable. I right taking a child away from everything that they know and everything that they are and turning them into whatever you want them Wipes to be out the culture is yeah. it's a form of genocide because it, it kills the right it kills the culture and it kills the people people as a group um at the bia i've worked with several tribes with fema and when i was at the university of north texas and I found that there is a different responses to the BIA. Some folks are tolerant of that. Some folks hate them. And um, I also found that it seems like Oklahoma is the Native American, hmm. the indigenous people's capital of the United States, basically. All, there's a lot of tribes there, and, and they kind of uh, lead for the rest of the groups. And each of the groups is different, so they're not always happy with what the other ones are doing but um, almost universally don't like the BIA although there are some that work well with them and they're very tolerant we have a lot of tribal we have a lot of tribal rivalry in this part of the country we have several of the the uh, the Iroquois nations that are are seated here in this area and there's they're fighting back and forth about rights for gambling with each other mm -hmm. and you know, driving cars through the fronts of gas stations and all that kind of stuff. So we see a lot of infighting in the in the tribal community in our area. <laughs> but they've got a lot of gambling. Yeah. Yeah, gambling, you know, when there's money involved, things can get bad. But um, yeah, it is. it has turned out to be an enviously lucrative way to make money because in states where there is no gambling... There, the, the law allows for indigenous people to have casinos and that makes the rest of the state jealous and you know where there's money there's trouble mm -hmm. and the mob doesn't like it no <laughs> interesting <laughs> side fact or upfront fact the only place at the last time I checked anyways the only place where Seneca is spoken now Seneca is one of the uh five tribes of the Iroquois right. languages is, is in mm -hmm. Oklahoma. Uh, I mm. did, they may start be speaking it back in New York now oh. again, but for quite a long time, Oklahoma was the mm -hmm. last place that you could hear Seneca spoken. My husband works with a, a man who is one of the, is a part of the Cuga tribe. Mm -hmm. And he, um, he lived on the res growing up and he tells some interesting stories about the tribal habits they used to have this stuff called Yagi on the on the reservation, and what it was was they would put apple cider in a barrel and let it harden, mm -hmm. and they would tap it off the barrels, and that was their their you know indigenous drink, I guess. And of course, the cigarette trade was huge uh, mm -hmm. in the in the tribes here. So, yeah, it's definitely a different culture. It's a big tangle, and you know the the natives here obviously were here here before us. And they had well-developed mm -hmm. cultures, each of the tribes. And to this day, they're trying to hang on to that in spite of what the U.S. government has done to mm -hmm. them. All right. So let's move right. on to 1855. Mm -hmm. 1855 is when William Poole, who was the leader of the Bowery Boys gang and known as Bill the Butcher, is buried in Brooklyn. He's so popular 
that there's 155 carriages in his in his funeral procession, and he has over 6,000 mourners. Hmm. He was the leader of the Washington Street Gang, which later become known, became known as the Bowery Boys Gang. He was the son of a butcher, but I don't think that's where he got the butcher in his name. Okay. Um, he was part of the Know Nothing Party, and the Know Nothing was a political movement that they were anti-Catholic, anti-Irish, anti-immigrant, the anti-non-whites. They were white supremacists. They had um, the political movement. If you were joining, and this is this is where part of the gang thing comes in, is that if you were joining the Know Nothing Party, they had a secret ritual for initiation. They had a secret handshake. They had mysteries that you had to learn and secrets. It was a lot like the KKK and the American party correction no they became the american party it was a lot like the kkk with all the secret stuff and and had, they had a lot of the same goals which was to basically white supremacy and, and the interesting thing was they're called the know nothing party and that's k-n-o-w nothing because one of the tenets of their secretive society was that if anybody asks you something you know nothing the only thing that happened on the 11th was his burial, but his burial leads to all this other not great stuff. <laughs> so, um, right. some of it was scary too. So, you want to take the yeah. next one? The American Civil War. It started on March 11th. And uh, the Constitution of the Confederate States of America was adopted, and that set up the um, the amnesty between states concerning the, the, the issue of states' rights and slavery. The, the Constitution of the Confederate States of America was adopted on March 11th, 1861. The war actually started on April 12th of the same year. And part of the Constitution was who they were allowing to vote and how they were going to tax people. And that's what this this little um, this little paragraph is about. This was taken directly from the Confederate Constitution that they would be determining how many representatives each each place got by adding the whole number of free persons and those who were bound to service for a term of years, so um, indentured servants, and excluding Indians who were not taxed, and three fifths of all slaves. I'm not sure how that three-fifths of all slaves goes with determining how many representatives you're going to get. But maybe it's talking about the taxing of three-fifths of all slaves. I don't know. But this was the seditious attempt to overthrow the United States government and become a separate country. Actually, to become several separate countries because they didn't want to be the they were the Confederated States of America, but they each wanted complete autonomy for their state. So, as bad things that happened in the United States go, the Civil War is one of the worst. Because we lost people on both sides, and they were all Americans. So, And they were fighting brothers and cousins, fathers and sons. and It was a terrible thing that happened. And it started when they when they ratified the Constitution of 
the Confederate States. So 1864 was the Great Sheffield Flood. And now the number of people that were killed varies because some people were never found. But they said it possibly as many as 260 were killed in the Sheffield Flood. Um, now, we've talked about dam disasters, the St. Francis Dam, the Mulholland Dam disaster, different um, things go that have gone on. And this flood was the result of a reservoir that, that um, failed. Um, it was in Sheffield, England, March 11th, 1864. The Dale Dyke Dam, which is what held back the water from the Locksley Valley um, in order to give them clean water for use because there was an issue with having potable water. And they had just gone through a, a large cholera uh, epidemic in that area because of impure water. So they decided to to dam the river so that it would they would have a reservoir. What happened was there was a small crack as the dam was filling, being filled, there was a small crack you could put like a pen knife in. And the man who was inspecting it said, well, you know, it's not that big. I think we'll, we'll be fine. Well, then within the first 10 hours or so of filling, it grew to the size where you could put your finger in it. And then as they continued to fill it, it, it gave way. And the water rushed out of the dam at a rate of like, was it 140 million cubic yards of water or something like that? Um, with a like a wall of water 35 feet high, wiped out 43 grain mills, more than 600 homes were damaged by the flood. The only thing that they could explain was that there was a crack in the embankment, but they didn't know what actually caused it. They did in the in the aftermath, as usual, they put a lot of land reform in, in place, reforming how dams were to be built and, and construction on large scale structures. It was built, rebuilt in 1875 and remains intact until today. So the second time they built it, they did a good job. The first time they didn't. And uh, it happened, it happened at, at midnight. And so the majority of people who were in the way, you know, in the in the path of it, didn't even know what was it was coming, and died in their in their sleep. So it was a tragic situation. Took them quite a while to reclaim bodies. That's kind of odd because you know the um, Saint Francis Dam also broke sometime around midnight too, and mm -hmm. lost a lot of people who were asleep. And they didn't right. find their last body till 1996. So right. I think they said it was like three or four months um, afterward before they actually found the last person. The first person who, who perished in the flood was uh, a one month old infant. The parents were trying to get out of the water and the ch child was swept out of the mother's arms and taken downstream. And they found it in a coal bin. Uh, I think it was like some of the were like 25 miles from where they actually had been washed mm. away so it they were taken a long way in the water but so the whole Loxley Valley was but it, yeah is that Loxley is in Robin of Loxley yes it is same same Loxley yep so yeah. let's move on to 1869 where mm -hmm. this is a, this is a typical western culture disaster 
The West mm-hmm. first learns of the giant panda from a French missionary named Armand David. He found out about it because some, some hunter gave him the skin of a giant panda. So the giant panda, as mm-hmm. far as the Western world, started off with a whimper instead of a bang. No, it's not like I saw a giant panda. It's like somebody gave me a skin of a giant panda. You could see their extinction beginning the moment the Western society found out about pandas. Okay, so moving on to the Great Blizzard or the Great White Hurricane of 1888. And we're going to talk at the same time about the blizzard of 1993 because they were both very similar in how they, how it, they came about, and we actually experienced that blizzard ourselves here in Genoa. The blizzard of 1888 that we're talking about actually happened happened a month, actually happened a month after the children's blizzard that we talked about. That happened on January 12th, two months. Um, yeah, and then, then this one happened on March 11th, both in 1888. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, like. Before the children's blizzard, the weather was unseasonably mild before mm-hmm. it happened, with heavy rains that turned to snow as the temperatures began to drop. And the storm began in earnest right after midnight on the 12th and continued unabated for a day and a half. And I remember reading about this blizzard. It didn't just affect the east, but when it started, it was actually driving cattle they found cattle from Texas in Alabama, I think it was. So it had been so cold that the cattle actually crossed the Mississippi on ice and walked to Alabama. So there was that. But then when it hit the Northeast, it dumped 50 inches in parts of Connecticut and Massachusetts. And in New Jersey right. and New York, they had 40 inches. There was forty to 30 to 40 foot drifts in New York. Um, New York City specifically, and in New England, there was drifts that were covering three-story houses. The highest drift was recorded in Brooklyn at 52 feet. At Saratoga Springs, they got 58 inches, and they got 48 inches in Albany. Now, I remember reading... Oh, let me go to this first. The storm also produced severe winds. 80-mile-an-hour wind, wind gusts were reported. Sustained winds were around between 40 and 60. So it was really bad. It was so bad that New York Central Park fire stations were immobilized. They couldn't get out. And so the fires that happened during that period were not addressed. And it caused $25 million worth of damage from fire in New York City, which is the equivalent to about $710 million today. Now, when I was reading about this, it's, I read about people who were in New York City when this started. And one of the, well, there was a woman who was trying to get to work and she, she got past the halfway point and the blizzard was so bad that like in the children's blizzard, it was freezing her eyelids shut because it got on her eye, eyelashes and it just froze. And it was, it was, the wind chill was so bad that it would suck all the heat right out of you and people would get disoriented because they couldn't see and this one woman, she managed to get to a store or someplace that was between where she lived and where she worked. 
And um, she she went in there and got warm, and then she didn't want to lose her job, so she was going to go back out. And they, they dragged her back in and said, no, you're not going anywhere. There mm-hmm. was a story of a guy who was out caught outside, and he was trying to cross the street, and he got blown into a snowdrift he, that he couldn't get out of. And finally, his brother went to look for him, and his brother heard him yelling from the snowdrift and managed to get him out, and they both got into a safe place that was close by. And, and so in these blizzards, I mean, you think about snowstorms and yeah, they're bad and, and the roads get slippery and, and the big accident that happened in Fort Worth was horrible. But when it's so bad that you you go outside and you can't see because your eyes are glued shut by the ice and you can't walk because the wind is so hard. And if you, the drifts are so high that if you fall in one, you can't get back out again. Those are the blizzards that don't happen very often but there was there was snow i saw the pictures in new york Mm -hmm. city the snow was like two and a half stories high drifted up against the buildings people were having to dig out like tunnels to get out of their houses or they were a lot of them were coming out the second story windows and sliding down after the snow stopped so it 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 also stopped trains it the drifts were so high that the trains couldn't get through People were stuck on those trains and they were, and some of them burned the furniture until they ran out of Mm -hmm. furniture and then they had to get out and walk. Mm -hmm. And there was a story of a group of people that started walking. One of them was a little girl who was about 10 and they ended up, they were so cold and so disoriented that when somebody slowed down or stopped, they just kept going because they knew they weren't going to be able to get them back up again. And they started carrying the little girl at first, and then he got the people that were doing that were too tired, so they she ended up walking, and then she ended up falling, and then that was the end of the ten-year-old girl. So more than four hundred people died from that storm and the cold that came along with it, including two hundred in New York City. And then we go to nineteen ninety-three, and we have the same thing. Right, um, we of course, live in upstate New York. And so we experienced the blizzard of 1993, the storm of the century. Um, It was a Cat 5 uh, cyclonic storm, and it turned into a northeaster, came up through the Carolinas. It began on March 12th. And um, the we were cut off for two days. We didn't have any, there was, there was no way to get up and down our road. We were drifted in so deeply up to the east of us. It took the plow until um, Tuesday. The the storm started on Sunday, I believe it was, or late Saturday, early Sunday. And it took them four tries to get through the snowbank that was at the top of the hill. Down below us, they had to get a bucket loader in because the drifts were between probably 35 to 50 feet because it blew off the top of a open field across the roadway, an elevated field. And there was no way that you could pass through there. Um, in the panhandle of, of Florida, they had six inches of snow in Birmingham, Alabama, they had 18 inches. The Northeast was crippled with, and it was all the way up the East coast, all of the new England States, all from the Carolinas up North. And they had between one to three feet of snow and ice and, and the winds were very high. Uh, the, the drifts were incredibly deep. My husband was doing maple syrup at the time which is what he's out doing right now, actually. And um, he would go through a hip high 
drifts to get out to the sugar bush to be able to dump sap for maple syrup. <clears throat> Excuse me. And because we live in a rural area and all the open fields, the, the wind just blows. And so we had huge drifts. There was 270 deaths associated with that storm. And, you know, you think, oh, 1993, that's, you know, pretty civilized. You don't have to. But when the weather unleashes itself, you really have no recourse but to just hunker down. Thankfully, we never lost power. Of course, for us, that's not an issue because we have alternate power sources and we heat with wood. And so it wouldn't have been an issue for us. But, you know, I think about the people down in Texas and the, you know, who've experienced that. It's an it's a really life threatening situation when your power goes out in that kind of weather. And so I'm I'm grateful we were able to make it through and we have the we have the distinction of being able to say we survived the storm of the century, the blizzard of nineteen ninety three. That's there we go. Yep. I got a lot of we survived t shirts from the different disasters I've been to. <laughs> we survived yeah. okay, Francis. We survived. Yeah. Yeah, well, yeah. And, the, and the situation in Texas was just, um, first of all, it doesn't, you know, it, 10 years ago, we had almost exactly the same storm in Texas. And recommendations for mm. the, from ERCOT were that, um, that they winter harden all their power equipment um, mm-hmm. in South Texas. And they didn't do it. But, you know, I mean, it happened... 1888 happened. <laughs> it right. happened several more times. It happened it in 2011. It doesn't happen often, but it sure does claim a lot of lives. Causes a lot of it, hardship. It can. And so yeah. a lot of the things that happened during this last thing in Texas were man-made as opposed to natural. The natural disaster came, but if they had followed the recommendations that they got during the last one and insulated pipes, you know, winter art and stuff that wouldn't right. have been so much suffering and death. Also, also they're giving out because of the way that they have billing contracts, people are getting $15,000 electric bills for last mm-hmm. month when they didn't have power. So mm-hmm. I'm not sure how that works and how well, but the, but uh, the assistance money they're getting is going to be going straight to the electric company, and that's not what it's meant for. I've, I've seen Dan Crenshaw, who's the representative in Houston, um, he said that those bills will not be, will not be um, paid. The water bills, that they're not supposed to be paid because they should pay what they pay normally, and the, the government will, will pick up the cost because mm-hmm. those people do not need that on top of what they've already. And if people are paying them, then they should find out about the, the services that are available because he said that those bills are definitely not valid and that they do not need to be paid. Well, they are illegal under the price gouging act in Texas. However, there's people that are already having to pay them to keep their power on. And there's also people there's that there was a teacher specifically down there who had the direct what do you call it the direct debit of her account so she had her billing hooked directly to her bank account and they took out ten thousand dollars which was like a quarter to a third of her salary for the year Mm -hmm. and when that just disappears it's it's harder to get it back than to not pay it right but there's people that are paying it because they don't want their power turned off 
and it's that's just a huge yeah. problem down there. On top of yeah, everything it's illegal, else. and but <laughs> yeah, and and he may say that, but the government has not come out and said that they're going to be either paying those bills or ordering those bills not to be paid, mm-hmm. and and charging them under price gouging laws. But they haven't done it yet. And so there's people that are, you know, they're like, I don't want to lose power because when I lose power, I lose water because the pump goes out and the pipes freeze and blah, 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 all that stuff. But um, what they say and what they do so far are two different things. Right. Up here, we have, we had two advantages here in the panhandle. One of them is we get those storms often enough to where we were hardened for cold weather. Right. And the other thing is that we're not on the ERCOT system. Mm-hmm. We're not on the ERCOT grid. So we have a power plant, a coal-fired power plant, that's just right outside of town. And we have a lot of windmills up here, and a lot of the houses, a lot of the houses have um, solar panels. So we, we had a lot of bad cold, and we had a little bit of power outage in part of the city, but for the most part, we, were, we had power the whole time. And we aren't getting exorbitant bills from our electric company. And they have some other problems, too. Is first, the Texas Emergency Management folks, I don't know what they had done in preparation for this. But if they had done planning for this specific disaster in that area, it was not enough. And the other thing is that we lost a bunch of people, right. which we do every time there's a disaster, to carbon monoxide poisoning. There was a woman and her daughter who went and sat in the car to get warm in the garage, and, and they, they died. And then there was, I think, at least two or three people in um, one they had a generator in. No, they had a, had a barbecue inside the house to keep warm. If you run your gas right. stove, it will also cause carbon monoxide poisoning. I know that in, in Florida, we lost a family of seven. Because they brought their generator into the kitchen because generators were being stolen. And rather than lose their generator, they brought it into the kitchen, went to bed, and six of them didn't wake up at all. The seventh one they took to the hospital, and he died, I think, a week later. And so, you know, getting the word out about and it's, And down there, you don't think about, well, I might need a generator. Or I might need to right. find a way to heat my house, and I don't have a fireplace. What... You know, they don't even think about the possibility of carbon monoxide poisoning. So, you know, what? in order to right. do a plan, you have to understand mm-hmm. what you're planning for. I think that's the big problem. Folks down there right. don't even have winter clothes. They don't expect right. sub-freezing temperatures, sub-zero temperatures. And, you know, the pipes mm-hmm. aren't insulated because it's basically the tropics or just almost the tropics. Right. And uh, usually the problem down there is it's so freaking hot. But, yeah, I just, uh, th- this whole thing has been like a cascading cluster, basically, is what it has been. Well, and, and the thing is, if you don't implement the kind of changes that need to occur, then it's going to happen again. You know, you have to be proactive there's no way you can just sit back and say oh well you know we didn't do this right but then you have to go in the direction of how do we do it right and train people to deal with it correctly you know that's the whole thing about preparedness you got to know what you're dealing with and how to deal with it 
Yeah. It's like when my when I was up when my grandson was born up in Maine and the power went out and it was out for five days and I had two little kids and I was trying to had no lighting, like alternate lighting. I had a wood stove. But you know, those were there were things I had to do to keep us safe. And uh, I'm glad I knew how to do them. Because it was a couple of days before I saw anybody. Okay, in 1977, about 150 hostages were held in Washington, D.C. by the Hanafi Muslims. They were trying to get prisoners released from the United States. Um, they held 150 hostages, and it took three Islamic nations to join forces to, with the negotiations to free those hostages. The gunman killed 24-year-old Maurice Williams. He was a radio operator from WHURFM. He stepped off the elevator onto the fifth floor in the midst of the crisis uh, where the mayor and the councilman had their offices, and he was shot. The gunman also shot D.C. Protective Service Division police officer Mark Cantrell. He died at the hospital a few days later of a heart attack. Uh, the councilman and the four future the future four-term Washington, D.C. mayor, Marion Barry, walked into the hallway after hearing a commotion because the hostages were being taken, and he was hit by a ricocheted shotgun pellet. It lodged just above his heart, and he was taken out through a window and rushed to the hospital. In 1978, there was a coastal road massacre. 37 people are killed and 70 are wounded when the Fatah hijack an Israeli bus prompting Israel's Operation Latani, which was a rescue mission. So that was 37 people killed on my birthday in 1978. Yeah, I remember those. Then in 2009, <laughs> in Winnenden, Germany, there was a school shooting. 16 people were killed and 11 injured. And then Tim Kretschmer, who was the gunman, shoots and kills himself. This led to a tightening of weapon restrictions in Germany. In 2010, economist and businessman Sebastian Piñera, Piñera was sworn in as president of Chile. Aftershocks of the 2010 Pichelemu earthquake hit Pichelemu mm -hmm, earthquake hit the central Chile city during the ceremony. He was really he shook it up when he got to be the the new president of Chile. So, yeah. So, another earthquake on my birthday, which leads us to 2011, which was a triple disaster that happened on my birthday on March 11th. A 9.0 magnitude quake strikes Japan on the eastern side, and it triggers a tsunami that kills tens of thousands of people. This event also triggered the second largest nuclear accident in history and one of the only two events to be classified as a level seven on the international nuclear event scale. Number one was Chernobyl. The effects of this earthquake were felt um, from Norway's fjords to Antarctica's ice sheet. Tsunami debris was, has continued to wash up on North American beaches years later. More than 120,000 buildings were destroyed and 278,000 were halfway destroyed and 726,000 were partially destroyed. So that's a lot of destruction. That's incredible amount of destruction. Direct, direct finance 
financial damage was estimated to be about $199 billion, about 16.9 trillion yen, according to the Japanese government. The total economic cost could reach up to $235 billion, the World Bank estimated, making it the costliest natural disaster in world history. Wow. I've seen footage of this tsunami. It's crazy. So hours after the earthquake, the first tsunami wave struck Hawaii. There were peak heights of 7 to 11 feet, or 2 and 3 meters. They were reported on Maui and the Big Island. One hotel near near Kealakeua Bay on the Big Island, Kealakeua Bay, reported water in its lobby, according to the Associated Press, but the overall damage was minimal. Eight to 10 hours later, waves hit the Oregon coast and they're relatively small, appearing to be about three or four feet or 90 to 120 centimeters on TV broadcasts. And unlike in Notori, Japan, the wave did not come in as a wall of breaking foam, but rather the tsunami in Oregon was much like the tide coming in and out again and again over every 10 to 15 minutes. Farther down the US West Coast, California suffered damages to docks and boats. At the northern port of Crescent City Harbor, there was destruction to city city docks and as many as 35 ruined boats. It is a combination of three disasters, earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear meltdown. There's widespread damage on the land, and the earthquake caused slippage of a subduction fault, widespread damage on the land, and initiated a large series of tsunami waves. It was felt in many, many places all over the world. The final death toll was roughly 19,300. That's the, that was their final count. They had gotten up to having well over 20,000 people that were dead or missing, but some of the missing showed up and it brought it back down, but that's still almost 20,000 people. Right. Let's see. So as far as the nuclear plant, that Daiichi plant in Mm -hmm. Fukushima, um, there was three nuclear power plants there, and Fukushima, uh, the Daiichi plant, was the one that was the most damaged. When mm-hmm. the, with the power, let's see, the inundation by the tsunami waves damaged the backup generators, uh, most notably at the Daiichi plant. With the power gone, the cooling systems failed in three reactors within the first first few days of the disaster. The cores subsequently overheated, leading to partial meltdowns of the fuel rods. Some plant workers said, though, that at least one partial meltdown was due to coolant pipes that burst because of the earthquake ground vibrations. So it wasn't the water that caused it, it was the actual earthquake. The melted material, and you know that in nuclear disasters, you don't want the core to melt because it just keeps going and going down. But... um, there was a movie, China Syndrome, about a theory about it melting all the way through the earth. I'm not sure that was a good theory, but it was a theory. <laughs> the melted material did fall into the bottom of the containment vessels in reactors one and two and burned sizable holes in the floor of each vessel, and that which partially exposed the nuclear material in the cores. When the, the nuclear material is exposed, that means that there's not that the heavy water that usually keeps it from Oh. reacting mm-hmm. um, is there and it starts to react directly and causes explosions and the explosions 
resulted from a buildup of pressurized hydrogen gas in the outer containment buildings that enclosed reactors 1, 2, and 3. So we have an earthquake, and then some of the things shut down because of the earthquake. Some of the cooling systems shut down because of the earthquake. And then the earthquake actually causes a rupture in one of the cooling pipes, causing the reactor that feeds it to melt mm -hmm. and go down in and expose the core and basically there's contaminated water and there's exploding hydrogen gas and there's people that are working there at the plant at the time and they're watching all this and mm -hmm. and thinking am I going to live if I live am I going to be have, have radiation sickness mm -hmm. so yeah, yeah. It was a terrible, I would not want to have been in that situation. That's all I'll say about that. So the, so, yeah, the fire that, that ensued is what really threw a lot of damage into the atmosphere. Right. Yeah, that was touched off by the rising temperatures in the spent fuel rods stored in reactor four. And then that released, the fire released significant levels of radiation from the facility for days and weeks after the earthquake. Workers tried to cool and stabilize the damaged reactors by pumping in seawater and boric acid. But seawater's got contamination in it that is not good for cooling nuclear fuel rods. Mm -hmm. So they, they were doing the best that they could with what they had, but it really wasn't good. The evacuation zone was later extended to the same size as the 18-mile no-fly radius. And within that, residents were asked to either leave their homes or remain indoors um, and presumably sealed into their house. The appearance of an increased level of radiation in some local food and water supplies prompted officials in Japan uh, and overseas to issue warnings about their consumption, like, you know, seaweed and different things like that, fish and things that were exposed to the radiation. At the end, End of March, seawater near Daiichi facility was discovered to have been contaminated with high levels of radioactive iodine-131. The contamination stemmed from the exposure of pumped-in seawater to radiation inside the facility. That was the seawater that they were pumping in. It got contaminated. Then they sent it to a holding facility, which had cracks in it, and went back into the ocean. And we were actually getting radioactive debris for months afterwards on the west coast of the United States. So in mid-April, the Japanese nuclear regulators elevated the severity level of the nuclear emergency at Fukushima Daiichi facility from a 5 to a 7. 7 is the highest level on the scale created by the International Atomic, Atomic Energy Agency. So it just escalated because there was no way to clean up and prevent contamination. Radiation levels uh, remained high in the evacuation zone, and it was thought that the area might be uninhabitable for decades. However, several months after the accident, government officials announced that radiation levels in five towns located just beyond the original 12.5-mile evacuation zone had declined, declined enough that they would allow residents to return to their homes. I'm not sure I'd trust that. Um, although... Although people did come back, others stayed concerned about the amount of radioactive material still in the soil. Attempts were made in several of those areas to remove contaminated soil. In December 2011, Japanese Prime Minister Noda Yoshihiko declared the Fukushima Daiichi facility stable after the coal shutdown of its reactors had been completed.
that means that they finally got everything shut down. So they said it was stable because it wasn't contaminating anything anymore. Cold shutdown doesn't mean that it's fixed. It just means they finally got it to stop reacting. All right. Right. So in the year, years following the accident, numerous leaks at the facility occurred at the site where the contaminated reactor cooling water was stored. A significant leak in August 2013 was severe enough to prompt Japan's nuclear regulation authority to classify it as a level three nuclear incident. So they still have cleanup so, to do on that you know, site. It, yeah. it's, it's like the gift that keeps on giving, it, it right? Is. It's happy birthday. No, at least they got it to stop reacting. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that's one of my right. birthday candles right there was Fukushima going up. <laughs> Woo, that's a big candle. That's, that's right. <laughs> so let's move on. There's a couple uh, more that we're going to talk about. Okay. In 2012, there was a U.S. soldier mm -hmm. in Afghanistan that killed 16 civilians near Kandahar. Um, so, yeah, there was that. And then, mm. in the same year, there was an earthquake in South Glen Falls, New York. Did you know that? Oh, yes. On my I birthday, did. 31. Somebody sh sent me a picture. <laughs> Yeah. They sent you a Somebody sent me a picture of their lawn chairs out back, and one of them flipped over backwards, and they said, this is the damage from the earthquake. Oh, my gosh. Which I felt was kind of mocking to people who really, truly have damage from earthquakes. Like Japan. But, you know. Yeah. It was, it's all they knew. Yeah. <laughs> so. so it was a 3.1. So it was something that you could uh -huh. feel, but it really would cause a lot of damage. Yeah. And then last year, the year that right. was a burning porta potty in a dumpster fire... Um, on my birthday, yeah. on, on March 11th, the World Health Organization declared COVID-19 virus a pandemic. So there you go. Well, the history of March 11th. There you go. Yes. Um, yes. And who knows what's going to happen this year? I'm just bated breath. We're going to hope nothing <laughs> We're gonna significant. Hope. Just that you turn... We just hope that you turn the age you're going to be, and that's it. We don't want anything more. And there's a so let's let's move on to something not well. It still ends in unpleasant, but there's other people that have my birthday. You know how people George Strait. I have the same birthday as the Pope. I have I have the same birthday as Lawrence Welk, the American oh, cool. accordion player and band leader. He was an American immigrant. I think he was Bonnie. Bonnie and Sissy. Bonnie and Sissy. Turn off the bubble machine. <laughs> yeah. Yes, let's dance now. He had, his, he had a television show where they had music, they had dancers, they had singers, they had and they had a bubble machine. There was always bubbles, like, yes. you, know, like you were living mm -hmm. in a bottle of champagne. Mm -hmm. uh, Rupert Murdoch, who is an American. He was quite a conductor. He was. He was quite a conductor. A one and a two and a Rupert Murdoch is right. an Australian-American businessman and media magnate. We've all heard of Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Rupert Murdoch. Isn't he the New York Times? The New York. The New York media magnet. Yeah, New York Post. Yeah, I'm not sure Post. which one it is. But yeah. yeah. And then Sam Donaldson, who is the Post. an American journalist and uh, television journalist. Antonin Scalia, who just died in the last couple of years, he was an. He yeah. was a Supreme Court justice. Bobby McFerrin, who's right. saying, don't worry, be happy. No, I'm not going to do that. Who's saying, don't worry, be happy. 
He's a songwriter, producer. Don't worry. Da, 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 da. Be happy. Right. Douglas <laughs> Adams, yep. who wrote Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, was born on my birthday. Terrence Howard, who's an American actor and producer. Nice. Who I happen to admire a lot. And this is, but this is the, the sad mm -hmm. one, the last one. Anton Yelchin, he was a Russian-born American actor. He actually played, he played Chekhov on the 6th, in, in 2016, his birthday was March 11th. On 2016, he didn't arrive at rehearsal, and so his friends went and found him, and he was pinned between his Jeep Cherokee at a brick pillar gatepost outside of his Studio City Los Angeles apartment home. Outside of his Studio City Los Angeles Aww. home. And, and, and he, it was a freak accident. He had gotten out of his car and went to check his gate, his lock gate and his mail. And the vehicle apparently rolled down the steep driveway and trapped him against the pillar in the security fence. He suffocated. Um, he's stuck between the car and the, and the post. And his cause of death was blunt traumatic asphyxia. So he was trapped between the car. He couldn't breathe. Says there was no other obvious suspicious circumstances involved. So, unfortunately, this young man, who I really liked in the movies, he was really very good, mm -hmm. um, met a really yeah. sad and early death. He was 27 years old. His parents had emigrated. Wow. They were both um, with the ice ballet in Russia, and they had emigrated and to the United States and then well, actually, they came to the United States, and then they asked for asylum, and they got asylum, and so they became skating coaches here in the United States. And then he became an actor, and he did that great job, and then, unfortunately, his Jeep Cherokee mm -hmm. did him in. So, wow. yeah. What a way to go. I know. It was terrible. terrible. I remember hearing about it when it happened. But anyways, wow. he has the same birthday, had the same birthday as I did. So there you go. Well, you got a whole bunch more disasters on your birthday than I had on mine. My birthday could be I mean, an entire entire year of disaster tales we could do with just my birthday. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's lots of fun. Thankfully, thankfully you weren't one of them. So oh, yeah, but there's people that wouldn't necessarily agree disasters. with you. <laughs> <laughs> She's a disaster. She's a disaster. <laughs> oh. There's a woman on, on oh. YouTube that I told you about. She calls herself a human hurricane. Oh, no, a human tornado. She says, oh, she's a human tornado. Everywhere she goes, things just go back. So, yeah. Crazy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like that little black cloud behind the, the Peanuts character. Pig pen, little cloud that follows yeah. everywhere it goes. <laughs> Yeah, there was one of those in Dick Tracy, too. His name was Joe, was like, Bivelzik. It, it was like a bunch of, it started with a B, and it was just a bunch of consonants. And he, he always had a big cloud over his head. Oh, right. Okay. But, oh, and as far as your Lego mystery <laughs> man, he was actually an art. Yes. He was actually an art installation. He had appeared in. Um, really? Yeah, he was eight feet tall. And accordingly, he had a T-shirt on that says, no real than you are. And it was an art installation. There was a, it says there's a Sarasota visual art website that states the smiling yellow man is named Ego Leonard, 
creation of Dutch guerrilla artists. Um, and 2011 Sarasota oh. Chalk Festival featured artist, artist Leon Keir. So he he put him in um, oh, okay. Zandvoort Beach in the Netherlands in 2007. Apparently he had him in Florida. And then he went to California. And, and Fear said, For years I have been friends with Ego. Together we made some amazing journeys. He asked me to make this website, and I did. <laughs> so, he says it's for persons huh. like Ego. Yes. Interesting. There was... Um, kind of in that same vein, there was a statue of one of the founding priests at Notre Dame that got stolen. Mm-hmm. And for years, they would get picture postcards of the statue at in Paris, in Rome, in Poland, and just all over the world. <laughs> and then finally, at the got around, didn't after he? I don't know how many years, they they he finally came back to Notre Dame. But it was, I thought that was a that's the kind of joke I really like to pull off. Is <laughs> all traveled. Yes. Yeah. The closest I got was yeah. my my best friend. It's one of those gas like. <laughs> my best friend and I were teasing this person that we worked with. And we wrote love letters to him that were signed. Oh, shoot. I can't remember what the signature was. It'll come to me in a minute. Anyways, Mm -hmm. we sent him these letters that said how much it was secret admirer letters. And because we knew so many people all over the country, we'd we'd write the letter, address the envelope, and stamp it. Then we'd put it in another envelope and mail it to somebody and ask them to mail it for us. So this guy was getting letters from Michigan, from New York, from California, from, from... from Texas, from Florida, from, wow! I mean, everywhere. And so, <laughs> mm-hmm. I know what, how the ending was. It said, kind of like Flat Stanley, huh? Yeah. This is, think of me, if not lovingly, then kindly, <laughs> your secret admirer. <laughs> and that, that's, <laughs> that's my kind of practical <laughs> joke. <laughs> yeah. Yep, that's a good one. Mm-hmm. Well, I think we've we've done a, a good job telling all of the sad stories of your birthday. I know, but uh, I'm glad that I'm glad that it's you're here and it's your birth your birthday that we're celebrating. So, um, yeah. By the time this we'll comes out, it'll be next. four days ago. So, <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. It's like there you go. I was born on Disaster Day, and then came a disaster and then mm-hmm. went into disaster and now I work disasters and then we talk about disasters so it's just a disaster you're just surrounded I, I am <laughs> I'm disastrous <laughs> oh well I'm glad we were able to do it yep. thank you for all your input and uh, thank you we will see what we've got for the next round thank you for listening to disaster tales You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Our website is www.disastertales.com. Music by Stephanie Cerny. In December 2013, TEPCO, the company that runs the Fukushima plants, decided none of the undamaged units at Daiichi would reopen. The sister nuclear plant, Fukushima Diani, or Fukushima No. 2, 12 miles to the south, remains open and is also run by TEPCO.